It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. Coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you're listening, I hope you're doing all right. Special shout-out to all of our radio and television affiliates. We're glad to be with you today. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant, located on St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. No, 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 www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. Oh, give my man a call. That's what I said, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give my man a call, 912-268-2328. 912-268-2328. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simons for an authentic Italian meal. And today's show is also being brought to us in part by, you guessed it, my book, Tom Molino from Bondage to Pettis Man of Play, is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can get a copy of it while you're watching or listening to the show, no matter where you are. Right now, just go to barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Find out why I'm so adamant about getting uh, Tom Molino's story told and uh, why I feel it should be on the big screen, too. So uh, keep that in mind. Uh, if you're looking to get a signed copy, uh, visit the website, billycboxing.com, and click on the book. You can't miss it. Jeremy C. put it all over the front page. Uh, and by the way, if you're looking to get multiple copies because you want to, you know, give them out to uh, friends, family, uh, just drop me an email, billy at talkinboxing. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com, and I'll hook you up with some special pricing on that. And speaking of hooking you up, don't forget we got those uh, brass knuckle coffee mugs coming soon. Uh, I should have one here uh, in the studio uh, over the next uh, a few days to a week. So uh, stay tuned for that if you want to get on the list. Because they are being custom made. And the each run uh, that we're limited to how many we can produce. Uh, now once we start producing them, uh, it'll be, uh, you know, the turnaround will be a little quicker than, than this first set. But uh, uh, get on the list. We already have some people on that list. Uh, so just drop me an email. Billy at talking. Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. And one more thing. Um, I feel like an uh, infomercial. One more thing, one more thing, if you act now. Um, remember, we, we were talking about our next big event. Uh, our next Billy C. Boxing event is going to uh, be uh, uh, almost a week of, uh, of activities uh, all surrounding uh, boxing. We're going to have a fishing tournament. We're going to have a golf tournament. We're going to have a meet and greet. We're going to have a fight night. Um, it's going to be uh, a big, uh, big thing. Memorabilia uh, day we're going to have. So all of this stuff is going on. Uh, it's most likely going to be taking place uh, sometime uh, over the summer, towards the end of the summer. 
so if you want to get uh, on the list for that, it's going to be invitation only, and it's also going to be uh, pre-purchase only. We're going to be offering uh, packages for this event and everything else. It's going to be a great, great time for uh, you and your buddies or your family. It's it's set up for accommodating uh, all the use. So drop me an email if you're interested in getting put on a list for that. Um, coming up a little bit later on the show, we got uh, Boxing Hall of Famer and New Jersey Boxing Commissioner Larry Hazard is set to return. And also, uh, today is the blast from the past. And um, it's a little twist. You know, we've been taking uh, requests for our blast from the past. And we got one uh, not too long ago. It was actually before the end of last year. And I, and I kind of had it on the shelf for a little bit. Uh, but it's not on a fighter. Uh, as you know, uh, if you've been listening to the show or even if you're a new listener to the show, uh, we do a blast from the past. It's our longest running segment. We are in our fifteenth year right now, and uh, the blast from the past basically uh, showcases a, a, a fighter of yesteryear. We tell you about him, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Um, and then we put him up uh, against today's champions in his weight class uh, through the uh, title bout championship computer game. But this week we have a little twist. We're doing it on a venue, as per request from one of you guys, the famous Blue Horizon out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, is what our blast from the past is going to be on today. So you're not going to want to miss that. That's coming up later on the show. But first, uh, in the news today, uh, Mike Tyson, one of my favorite all-time fighters, uh, has uh, shared some footage of him working out his 15-year-old son, Miguel Leon Tyson, with the pads. He's working him out with the pads. Now, uh, Miguel is, uh, like I said, only 15, and uh, he hasn't boxed or anything else. And uh, Iron Mike uh, publicized uh, the photos of uh, uh, and some video of him uh, working out his son. And he says, we're only doing it for family fitness. But I got to wonder, you know, working out with the mitts, uh, are we going to see Miguel Leon Tyson following his pop's footsteps? Joining me right now from St. Simon's Island. Uh, to get his thoughts is my man, uh, Sal, Rocky, Senecola. Good morning, Sal. Hey, good morning, Bill. How are you today, buddy? Oh, I'm not doing too bad. I'm not doing too bad. Uh, still a little yeah. uh, under the weather. I think I'm getting a relapse of what I had uh, last time I was down there. But uh, Mike Tyson uh, showing some footage of his son claiming that it was just a family uh, fitness session. But I say to myself, if that were the case... Why would you even share it? Uh, do you think he's uh, laying the groundwork? Do you think he would let his son fight? I mean, what's your thoughts on this? I'll tell you, as a father who has a son that also would like to get in the ring a little bit, it, it's a hard decision. And, of course, there is so many benefits of uh, training and boxing and just, just hitting the mitts and heavy bag and jumping rope and the cardiovascular, boxing is a fantastic workout. And you should be able to do it for most of your adult life, and, and it's great. Um, now, I think the seeds have been planted in this young individual. Uh, why not? I mean, this guy is, has grown up uh, under the tutelage of, uh, of a boxing legend. And uh, so I would sh nothing less than what I would expect is him to aspire to want to try to be like his father. So picking up a, a glove, I think there was a little flame ignited, and having his father hold the mitts and uh, 
you know, he probably doesn't even have the realization yet of how real important and significant his father was at this level. Uh, I, I think when, when, when he realizes, I, I mean, he does realize, of course, but I mean, the importance and everything else and what it takes, I think he definitely has a fire lit inside of him. And Mike Tyson is only going to cultivate it. And I, I definitely could see Mike saying, hey, you know what? This is good. Let's do it in the family. Let's keep you, let's, let's get you in shape. We'll teach you a few things. And you know what? Maybe we'll have you do a little amateur boxing and, and teach you a little bit of that and see how you do. And, you know, it just takes one flame to light after another. And, I mean, that's how easy it is to, to you know, to, to get in a ring as, a, as an amateur to start and to fight. And then you aspire, you know, let, let me try the Golden Gloves. Oh, good. Wow, I won the Golden Gloves. Let me, let me try uh, the AAU state championship. Oh, I won that. Uh, let me go to a national AAU. You know, so it one thing after another until the flame ignites and it's out of control. And you contain it and you feed that fire and you have that burning desire to, to, to continue to box. And if you're being brought along, if you, you if you understand the the repercussions, if you understand what's all involved, if you could be uh, dedicated and focused, why not? So I think it's a great stepping stone, a good little tutelage, and a good little time for father and son to get to know each other on a boxing level. You sound like Customato. First you create the spark, then you create the flame, then it goes to a fire, then it turns into a blaze. Um, you know the uh, the thing is is. Uh, you know, first and foremost, at 15 years old, I'm sure uh, uh, Miguel Leon Tyson uh, has heard and knows uh, about uh, his pops. Uh, but, but, but secondly, you know, maybe Mike is right saying that you know he he's just doing it for uh, uh, for fitness because at 15, that's already starting late in boxing. I mean, uh, you know, we talk about muscle memory all the time, and and these guys that like you know played football, let's say from the from Pop Warner, you know, eight ten years old, all the way through uh, high school and college, and maybe sustain an injury and, and turn to boxing, they um, you know never really pan out, and a lot of the reasons why is because of muscle memory. I would think that if uh, uh, Mike Tyson was going to let his son, or or maybe his son never showed any interest until now. Uh, I would have liked to have seen him start a little sooner, wouldn't you? No, I wouldn't, no. And I'll tell you why. And there have been many cases where a fighter has started a little later in life uh, uh, and has has had the maturity and the mentality and the mindset to respect the sport and to understand it and to want to be the sponge later in his years to absorb and, and really grasp what the whole process is all about. Of course, that's when you had world-class trainers that did nothing but show examples of the old school and, and the sweet science. And uh, there might be a different training atmosphere today. But no, 15, you know, my own son, I told him uh, when he wanted to start at 8 and 9, no, I want him to mature a little bit. Don't forget also, you've got those young uh, muscle, the young early muscle tissue and connective muscle tissue, the ligaments, the tendons, they're all growing. They're all maturing. And I used to have trouble as a young athlete when I was wrestling or even boxing and doing other things where my body, my muscle tissue was developing faster than my connective tissue, the meaning the ligaments, the tendons. And I, you got have a sports physician probably uh, tell it better than I can. But the bottom line is sometimes the muscle tissue is stronger at the time than the connective tissue. And you get stresses, pulls, strains, rips, tears. And when you're that young, it's not, it's not the worst thing in the world to wait till you're 15, 16. 
when some of this is caught up, there's more of a balance, and you're going to be hitting the bag, and you're going to be having explosive uh, uh, moments with, with uh, your muscles and, and things, and it, it can withstand a little bit more pressure at that time. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe that. And I feel that at 15, 16, I think it's an ideal time uh, to start boxing. And, uh, you, you know, I think it's perfect, perfect time. Well, I mean, when you look at a young athlete, uh, you know, boy or girl, normally they're starting sports much younger than that. They're in, uh, they're in you know, t-ball or, or maybe playing some hoops or something like that, you know, at, uh, you know, six, seven years old. And that's what gets them into that, that whole, uh, like you suggest, uh, in, in a roundabout way, you know, becoming disciplined with sports, uh, getting used to, you know, taking direction from a coach or, uh, you know, a trainer or whatever. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, the, the funny thing about father-son uh, boxing anyway, um, a lot of times, and, and really any sport, a lot of times if you have, it, it seems to me, that if you have a really successful parent that's in sports, very rarely does the son become as successful. Except when you, and, and then when you look at the other side of the coin, if you have somebody that was involved in the sport that was mediocre, and then their son gets involved, and in specifically with, with boxing, you've seen the, the son do better. You know, um, you know uh, case in point with Buddy McGirt, uh, you know, he reached championship level. His son was never quite as good. Then you look at Roy Jones Jr., and you know, his father was not very good, but his son was real good, you know. Right. Um, so, you know, you look at a couple of cases like that. Now, in football, uh, I know of a couple very similar, you know, where the, the son just didn't pan out. But then you get guys like uh, McCaffrey, uh, who was a uh, wide receiver who, uh, you know, was successful in the NFL, and his son is very successful in the NFL. So you never know. You never know. But uh, You never know. It's, yeah. a, it's a luck of the draw. And, it, you know, each individual has a, has their own will and desire, heart and passion. And, you know, if it's sustained on a similar level of, uh, as the forebearer or the father or something, it, it, it's good. If not, you know, it's and, – and, you know, starting at 15, 16, as you were first referring to, doesn't mean that his son was not already involved with other sports. And I truly believe in cross-training. And, yeah, he could have been playing soccer, could have been playing football, he could have been playing track or field or baseball. And those all, I believe, really do contribute to the athleticism that it takes to be a good boxer, puncher, or whatever you got to do. So if he's had a sports background and if he is athletic, I think right there uh, is a good foundation where he can now isolate and start training and focusing on a sport that his passion and his heart is going to wanted him to, to venture in. Now, I could be wrong, but that's how I would assess and look at an athlete, young star. Well, let's not, let's not put him in the ring yet. He was hitting a couple no, of mitts. That's forget it. about it. He was hitting mitts. But I, I would be shocked. Uh, somebody made a comment uh, over in the Facebook uh, uh, live chat. I would be shocked if, uh, if the kid doesn't at least try. I mean, with the name alone from a promotional value, it's oh, there. he's got that. That's what I'm saying. Um, Amateur status, maybe try that. Yeah. Um, in some other news, there's another uh, a big fight in the cruiserweight division this weekend for the World Boxing Super Series. Um, now, as we know, uh, last weekend we had the uh, semifinals and Usyk 
uh, took on uh, Breedis, uh for uh, the right to fight the winner, uh, and Yusa came out on top. So the, the he will be facing the winner of this weekend's um, uh, fight between Unier Dortikos, who's an undefeated uh, WBA World Cruiserweight Champion, 22-0 with 21 wins coming by knockout, against Murat Gassiov, who's 25-0 with 18 knockouts. Uh, they had their final press conference yesterday, and uh, I got some quotes for you, Sal. Gassiov says, uh, uh, Dortikos is a well-schooled fighter. He has many uh, amateur fights. He's got good speed, fast hands. He's a great opponent. I've prepared for 12 tough rounds. The World Boxing Super Series is a great tournament that gives me the opportunity to unify all the Cruiserweight titles. On Saturday, I'm going to take another step towards that dream in front of my proud countrymen. Uh, the fight will be taking place in Russia. Uh, Gasyov uh, obviously is Russian. Uh, Dortiko said, uh, on a personal level, I got no problems with Gasyov, but right now he has a problem. He has to find a defense against the missiles that I'm going to throw and land on that big head of his. Gasyov will learn to respect the KO doctor on Saturday. I'll put another show on Saturday for the fans in Russia and around the world. I got nothing to worry about. Gasyov has. Um... What do you think of the two uh, comments? Dortico seems uh, very confident, and uh, Gassiev uh, seems confident, but he was also, um, it seemed like his priority was to give his opponent uh, some praise. Well, how, what, do you, what, do you, what do you read in between the lines from these two uh, uh, comments? I think each one of them uh, feels that obviously they're going to beat the other fighter, and, uh, and they're being respectful of each each uh, each. is each, uh, uh, their opponent's ability and opportunity that they each have. Uh, I I tell you what, I like hearing what I did from both fighters. It's pretty good, and uh, it has me interested in watching the fight as well. Yeah, well, I love this tournament, and uh, I tell you, the winner of this fight, um, taking on uh, Usyk, is going to be uh, a, a real good one. Listen, the truth about it is, is World Boxing Super Series has <coughs> produced. Uh, all good fights. There hasn't been one unentertaining fight uh, on this uh, during this tournament. It's a shame that the powers that be uh, that control uh, American television never uh, did the right thing by by uh, by by landing it on US TV. Uh, I, th- I think that was a huge huge mistake, Sal. Well, I think you're right. And, and bottom line is though, but here in the United States. Why? Because we're not going to showcase any anybody that's not in the tournament from the United States, which is a big mistake to begin with. It should have been, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg. Well, we should have had some U.S. fighters that uh, felt uh, that they could put their career uh, in that path and in that zone to uh, to to join the tournament. But you know, it's a different mindset here, and fighters are brought along differently. And uh, I, I give my hats off all the time for it the fighters in Europe that wish to partake in this kind of tournament that's going to declare a winner and uh, not be subject to the governing bodies of boxing that have politics involved and everything else. This is clear-cut and simple, and that's what I love about it, and that's what's unique about it. So those that are fighting in there are taking the luck of the draw, and they're fighting whatever's put in front of them. That's unique, and that's great, and we love it. But the better part, of first of all, the, the decision not to put this on U.S. television because there were no U.S. fighters on it is ridiculous. Because well, the truth, well, well, the truth of the matter is, is a boxing fan, you know, 
in in other sports, you 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 could you you kind of go with your team. That's you know maybe at one point you you were local, but most of the point you you're following your home, your hometown team, so to speak. Um, in boxing, it's a global sport. You know why not have a, a a favorite fighter? He doesn't necessarily have to be from your hometown or anything else. There, there's so far and few in between, and and I think that. The, the trick with, with professional boxing and the success of professional boxing is the entertainment factor. And the powers that be missed the boat on this tournament. They missed the boat on giving fight fans uh, an entertaining series to watch. And, I, you know, uh, I, they, don't, they don't even seem to have learned their lesson. They don't have a clue. They, they, they're, they're so, you know, uh, disconnected from the sport that uh, that we're still missing out, even at this stage. I mean, after that first uh, level, after the first heat, so to speak, and we saw how great the fights were, uh, you would have thought they would have scrambled to put them on the next uh, next heat, and they didn't. Uh, and they're you know maybe they'll put the finals on. I don't know, uh, but uh, but but I hope so. I hope so. And 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 another thing that's really impressive about this tournament, Sal, especially this division, is every one of these guys had titles they're all putting them on the line it wasn't about the stupid belt you know uh, here in the states too many times you see the fighter that parades around a belt and and the networks you know try to put value in the belt until they lose that belt or give up that belt now all of a sudden it doesn't have value well these guys the the desire to prove that they were the best superseded the belt value and that is what i love about this tournament you know uh, these these are all unification fights uh Gassiov is a world champion dorticos is a world champion the two fighters that were participating last week both had belts um you know now Usyk is a unified champ so i mean it's a win-win situation and and yet you can't and any any american boxing fan that doesn't see that these guys have what you and I and, and my man Larry Hazard, who's going to be coming on in a little while, he, I'm sure he shares the same thing, that old-school mentality of in order to be the best, you got to beat the best. you got to prove that you're the best by fighting the best. It doesn't matter which color belt you're wearing around your waist. It doesn't matter how much money you made uh, in the ring. It doesn't matter if you have an O on your record. At the end of the day, the best beat the best, and then they come out on top. It's the old king of the mountain, right? That's right. No, that's the truth. I mean, you said it just as simple as you can. And I believe that, uh, that you are 100% correct. And that's what's so unique and so special about that kind of tournament, where they are putting everything on the line, and they're taking, like I said earlier, the luck of the draw and who they're going to fight and when they're going to fight. And it's out of their promoter's hands, out of their manager's hands, it's that they volunteered to join this tournament, and they're going to be compensated, and they're going to be praised, and the winners are going to go on. And the losers will still have a good shot because they, they, they did uh, the best they could and they're going to be highlighted. And you know what? It's a shame that ESPN or some other station didn't pick up this series because it's just like, you know, boxing is a world sport. So is soccer world sport. I, I'm not telling them to, uh, to film uh, cricket or, uh, or uh, some other sport that's popular in, in England or so uh, here. And we don't get it. But the bottom line is that when you, when you have a world sport, uh, if it was a big soccer tournament, we'll see uh, uh, Germany play Spain. We'll see this and that. It's on ESPN. So why couldn't they show a fight like this on ESPN or something? Well, because the guys that make the decision don't know the sport. And that's the sad truth. 
you know, uh, but uh, in any event. Um, speaking of uh, fights, you know, uh, Alexander Povetkin, and now one of our uh, contributors to this uh, show uh, via email and also uh, with his column, had told us about this fight two weeks ago. We talked about this. And now it's hitting the news, but uh, apparently uh, they're saying that it's still being negotiated. But Alexander Povetkin uh, and uh, David Price uh, are uh, going to be on the undercard of uh, AJ and Joseph Parker uh, at the end of March. Uh, Eddie Hearn is a promoter of both of these fighters. Um, to me, this doesn't seem like a competitive fight in the heavyweight division. Uh, although I feel that Alexander Povetkin is not as dangerous as he once was, as a matter of fact, he, he seemed, <laughs> I can't help but think of the fight with the guy with the broken neck. He, I mean, he should have taken this guy out. I mean, he got, you know, physical therapy and stuff in the ring. I mean, they stopped the ring for seven minutes, uh, stopped the fight for seven minutes and let him, let him continue. Uh, so he's definitely not the same. But David Price never was. I mean, you know, this was a guy that had a lot of... Uh, uh, fanfare and and people thought he was going to show a lot of potential, and right now to me, he's just an opponent. I don't see this fight being competitive at all. What do you think? No, I I, I agree with you, and you made some good points. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll see if we're going to be uh, looked at after the fight to um, uh, reveals itself of how competitive it'll be. But I I, I agree with you. Uh, one other thing before I got to take a break here. Um, the uh, fight that's taking place in a couple of weeks on February 17th in Vegas uh, between uh, Bam Bam Rios and Danny Garcia, um, they just announced the uh, uh, another fight that's going to be on that card. Uh, Jordinas Yugas, who's a welterweight, uh, is going to be taking on Ray Robinson. Um, he- here's my problem. I, I love watching Yugas. But Ray Robinson is a guy that, no disrespect to him, but he has not displayed any talent. How does he get added to a fight card like this? I, I don't understand it. I, I just don't understand. I mean, I know why, but uh, it's a shame because this is the kind, when you make it to these cable networks, they should be the premier fights, premier matchups. I don't see this fight. I mean, I've seen Ray Robinson fight. It's a, it's a shame that his name is even Ray Robinson. <laughs> That's I, what I'm saying. Yeah. That's how he got there. Oh, God. It's, it, it's not even close. I mean, he's not even ex- no. there's no excitement in this guy. He, he really no displays nothing. No... <laughs> you know, but uh, anyway, uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, um, I, I just want to talk real, real quickly before we read a couple of emails uh, about uh, the Showbox uh, card this weekend and uh, also a, a new... A Filipino uh, fighter that's also fighting uh, this weekend that you may not be up to date on, but after this weekend, you may want to start following. Hold that thought. We'll be back in two. Billy C. We'll be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. 
you're watching and listening to the Philly C Show. Uh, don't forget, coming up in a little bit, we got the return of uh, Boxing Hall of Famer Larry Hazard. And this week, it's that time again. We do our blast from the past, but we got a little twist this week. It's not on a fighter. It's on a venue. So you're not going to want to miss uh, the next two segments. I'm here with Sal Rocky Senecola. And Sal, this weekend uh, on the uh, Showbox uh, uh, broadcast, which is taking place Friday uh, out of Iowa, um, they added another fight uh it, it, you know, um, but but the main event, and, and I, I, I'm not talking about the, the fights per se, but the main event is going to be Ronald Ellis, who's uh, undefeated 14-0 and with a draw with 10 knockouts, uh, taking on uh, a Junior Yaunman, uh, who's 13-0 and with nine knockouts in the super middleweight division. And the co-feature is Thomas Matisse, who's 10-0 and uh, with eight knockouts, taking on uh, uh, Rolando Chinia, who's 15-1-1 and in a lightweight uh, fight. Um, Sam T and uh, uh, Love uh, are going to be uh, uh, fighting in the uh, uh, third fight, but but here's here's my point. Um, you know, Showbox, especially this broadcast, Showbox, the next generation, used to showcase these kinds of fights uh, where you got you know two young fighters going at it. And, you know, for the most case, the majority of the fan base really didn't know who they were. And this was an opportunity to, to see these guys fight. And I felt that Showbox kind of left that uh, blueprint a little bit uh, when they, you know, jumped into bed with uh, Al Heyman and the PBC. And we got to see a lot of a lot more showcase fights where you're you're looking at one side beating the snot out of the other side. Um, in this case, I think we're seeing. Uh, at least two of the three fights are going to be 50-50 fights. And, and I think that that's good. I, I, I hope that Showtime takes advantage of uh, the lack of quality fights that HBO has lined up. And uh, this might be the beginning of uh, what we see for the rest of the year. What's your thoughts? I think it's a good platform. I think it, it's great. And anytime you get two undefeated fighters young and early in your career like that, I think it's going to be uh, uh, some bragging rights. I think it's going to be a situation where both fighters will still have, uh, after one loss, one of these guys is still going to have a great opportunity to go on. He's going to learn from this. Uh, they both will learn from this. So I think it's, it's a good little platform uh, to launch some big, big, uh, big careers early on while they're developing and, and starting to sh formulate a plan to make it to big-time boxing. Right, like they used to do. They kind of got yeah. away from it, and I'm glad that they're uh, back on that. Uh, for great any model, great model. Yeah, uh, for, just keep in mind, um, you know, we have been uh, being loyal to the uh, Facebook uh, live stream, but that is not our regular uh, stream. If you want to see the same version of the show that goes out uh, on TV, make sure you check it out on our YouTube uh, uh, channel because uh, that's the, the full-blown version. Um, when you think of Filipino fighters, at least uh, over the last uh, uh, several years, Manny Pacquiao's name pops up. Uh, well, there's a fight fighter. There's a fighter fighting on Saturday um, that wants to become that new face of the Filipino fighters, and uh, he's currently the uh, IBF uh, uh, champion. And, um, you know, uh, of his junior bantamweight championship, I should say. And he's already uh, made not one, not two, not, but three uh, world title defenses. He's going up against his fourth, going to be putting on his fourth title defense this weekend. Jerwin 
and and Kajas is his name, and I probably murdered his name, and I apologize for that. 26 wins, one loss, one draw. 18 of his wins coming by knockout. He's taken on uh, Israel Gonzalez, who's 20-1 and one with eight knockouts. Uh, this guy wants to prove, uh, since he's going to be on ESPN, wants to prove uh, that he uh, very well will be the next uh, face of Filipino boxing. I'm looking forward to checking him out because, honestly, I've only seen him fight one time before. And uh, he's got a little, as far as I know, he's got a long way to go to be uh, the next Manny Pacquiao. Any thoughts on that one, Sal? Well, yeah. I mean, you look at it, he's coming from, from a very small country, and he's coming along with an aspiration of, of looking at a, a, an idol. I mean, you know, Manny Pacquiao is synonymous with, uh, with uh, his home country and everything else. And I think that to, to aspire to be the new face, uh, I think is is magnificent, and uh, if he it can sustain and, and keep that mindset, and have the talent and ability and the desire and the heart and the passion to to rise to that level, and, and uh, everything goes right for him, why not? Hey, it's great. Uh, put him up there. So I'm looking forward to seeing him and seeing how he looks and what he can do. Got a <coughs> excuse me. Oh God, sorry about that, Sal. I got a couple hey, of you. That's you got just, right in my ear. That, uh, yeah, that just came. That's one of those coughs that just came right out, you know. But um, I hope I didn't. I hope I didn't. I hope I didn't get a phlegm all over the mic. But uh, anyway, my, I got a couple of emails. This one's from Jesse. Uh, he says, uh, "Hey, Billy, see, I think Roy Jones Jr. is an all-time great, but I do agree with Dax." Uh, that he depended on his reflexes and speed. Roy wasn't as busy with his combinations and fighting on the inside. He wasn't. Uh, he was not your constant attacker. He did most. Uh, he did fight most of the best fighters uh, in his time. Um, this is in response to our uh, discussion about Roy Jones Jr. It actually was prompted over my sickening feeling of the accolades that they give him on HBO. It makes it sound like this guy can walk on water. And although he's a, a first ballot Hall of Famer and uh, his own, uh, um, you know, uh, generation's uh, superstar, he's, he's far from that today. And I just can't stand uh, listening to uh, the accolades. I, you know, we, we, we brought up some uh, questions about him uh, earlier. Um, and, you know, I, I, listen... Any athlete depends on their uh, reflexes, speed, etc. And then when that starts to go, so does their career. That's the problem why a lot of these uh, superstars never want to let go because they, they mentally are prepared and their bodies just don't uh, live up to it. He says, Billy, I agree with everything you said about uh, Triple G against Canelo. Uh, he says, I believe Canelo must work the body more, uh, throw more combos, jab and counter and move. Triple G needs to cut the ring off better work the body, use the jab, and expect Canelo to move uh, to his right a lot. He says, I think Khan should retire. I don't really want to see him again. I've lost interest in him uh, if you're gone from the sport. He says, uh, what's your thoughts on Philippe uh, Hergovic? Uh, Boxwreck already has him at 60 overall in heavyweight division after three fights. He did well on the undercard of Super Series of Boxing. Um he says also Lucas looks slow and doesn't have much left. Linares must uh, uh, fight another champ. I'd like to see him fight Lomachenko next. I'd like to see him fight Lomachenko next too. Um, as far as Philippe uh, Hergovic, um, this guy is ranked at uh, number sixty in the world. Uh, he's six foot six with two hundred twenty five pounds. Sal, he's only three and zero with three knockouts. But here's the thing. His pro debut was against Rafael Zambrano Love, who's a journeyman fighter, which we usually see fighters, 
you know, that are trying to get that name on the resume. This guy had his pro debut against him and knocked him out in the first round. Um, his combined opponent's record for three fights, 55 wins, 19 losses, and a draw. 75 wow. fights for a guy that's 3-0. and I think it's impressive. In two thousand, in, in the two thousand sixteen Olympics, he won a, a bronze medal. The only the, he lost to Tony Yoka, who's a a, a big time uh, prospect in the heavyweight division out of France, um, who seems to be his his kryptonite. He lost to Yoka uh, in the uh, amateurs in twenty fifteen. However, he did beat Yoka in twenty ten. And uh, you know who else he beat as an amateur, Sal? No, who? World champion, WBO world champion, Joseph Parker. So, uh, yeah. Are Philippe, you kidding me? Yeah, no. So, uh, Philippe uh, Hergovic is, is a guy to keep an eye on for sure. All right. He might be the real deal. We'll see. Yeah. I'll keep an eye on. Uh, one other thing I, I wanted to mention real quick before uh, uh, we go uh, to break here and, and we're scheduled to have Larry Hazard come on is uh, my man Johnston sent uh, an email. Um, uh, let me just read it. He says, uh, good morning, Billy C. and Sal. I wanted to send a request. I was I was wanting to send in a request for a, a fantasy matchup uh, for your new uh, segment, but I stumbled across a tragic story about Sheffield boxing legend Harold Graham. I know you remember him, Sal, uh, yes. who was affectionately known as the Bomber. Uh, Harold has been detained in a psychiatric ward for his own safety after suffering chronic depression. A 58-year-old who has struggled with life after boxing has been uh, sectioned against his will. And he's been gone, uh, going missing in London. What's even more heartbreaking is that his partner, Karen Neville, uh, who has helped him fight back from depression and three times uh, at attempts at suicide, is uh, ill with stage three cancer. For those who don't know, uh, the bomber had a 20-year career, winning 48 of his 54 professional fights. He's generally acknowledged as one of the best British boxers to have never won a title. He fought in a tough period between 78 and 96 against some of the best in the division, like Mike McCallum, Julian Jackson, and Charles Brewer. Uh, financial pressures, uh, bipolar issues, and a struggle to survive has brought him uh, to a mental breakdown from which he must need all the help to recover. Meanwhile, uh, the condition of Karen is getting worse and work, worse because of lack of funds for the treatment she requires. Um, it, basically, uh, what he's going to do here, my man Johnston is going to put a uh, link uh, in our chat room um, where if you want to help, uh, they have a crowdfunding uh, account uh, for him. Uh, so if you want to help, uh, do it. I normally don't do this, uh, but uh, I think this is a, a good cause. And uh, the link should be, uh, uh, Johnson said he was going to put the link uh, up in the chat room today. So uh, just go to our official chat room uh, on billycboxing.com. Sad story, right, Sal? That is, that is a sad story. And, you know, there's so much that we never hear about uh, some of the happenings of uh, fighters that are long retired or something. And, you know, it, it's it's because it's not pleasant. Um, you know, we, we do hear the ones that are more notable and, and more in the media and more successful. And uh, uh, But there are... For everyone that's successful, there are many, many, many that uh, their their futures and their uh, existence uh, is uh, less than spectacular, and it's a shame. It really is. It certainly is. Sal, we're going to kick you to the curb. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and uh, I'm scheduled to come back with uh, my man Larry Hazard, and then we got our blast from the past following that. So, Sal, we'll catch up with you later, and uh, for everybody else, I'm going to take a short break, and uh, we'll be back in two. 
Hey, fight fans, check out KOFantasyBoxing.com. KO Fantasy Boxing is boxing's only trademarked fantasy game. Check it out, www.KOFantasyBoxing.com. Select your own gym, your own fighters, track them through a season that can last from three months to a year, depending upon which league you join. You got to check this out, man, www.KOFantasyBoxing.com. Join it today. Again, www.KOFantasyBoxing.com. And tell them Billy C. sent ya. The one, the only, Don King. Makes me feel good, Billy, to have you, the number one show in the country, talking boxing with Billy. So I invite each and every American that's listening to this great show to tune in. We want you to be there with Billy and me. Now back to Talking Boxing with Billy C., the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there. Jeremy, man, uh, I need you to take this one, all right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C., damn it? Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. Undisputed heavyweight champion of boxing talk radio. It's talking boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, speaking about being with us, joining us right now, my main man, Larry Hazard. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Billy. Hey. How you doing, my How man? How you doing? How you doing? I'm doing fine. Good. Good, man. I'm glad to hear that. And uh, I might as well uh, throw you right into the ocean here. Uh, yesterday, it was uh, officially made official, which we all knew. But you know, you, you know how boxing, you know, how, you know how boxing is. It's got talk about drama. You know, it's worse than it's worse than a a, a room full of uh, women uh, trying to out dramatize themselves. But uh, Triple G and Canelo uh, finally officially made it official uh, that they are uh, going to be fighting, just like we all thought on Cinco de Mayo. Um, I was criticized yesterday for saying that I felt that they dragged this out. And I got, believe it or not, I got, and, and I find it hard to believe, but I got this email, well, actually a comment from someone that said I was an idiot, that it wasn't dragged out, that they last fought in September. And I took my socks and shoes off, Larry, and I figured out that it was eight months. It'll be eight months between the fights. I, that fight should have happened three months later at the most. What's your thoughts? Yeah, well, the sooner they happen, the better. I mean... So it was dragged out for whatever the reason, okay, but it doesn't make you an idiot because you said that, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, a, a, a rematch, especially a highly anticipated um, rematch, you know, doesn't have to go eight months. You're talking eight months, that's almost a year. A fight of this nature, you know, certainly didn't have to wait that long, so they did drag it out. For whatever the reason, I don't know. But that's a fight that could have taken place three or four months later, and I think everyone would be uh, satisfied with it. Not only that, you know, the result is going to be the same, uh, whatever that result is. So it's not like these guys need a 
eight months to get ready for it or, you know, like there's some big mystery. You know what I mean? Uh, we know that the fight was going to take place because business, you know, is just good business for there to be a rematch on that fight. So I agree with you. They, they didn't have to wait that long. You know, a lot of people feel that, you know, Canelo's ripping a page out of uh, Mayweather's book trying to get all the edge, you know, all the uh, every, everything in his favor. And one of them is the fact that Triple G is older and, you know, dragging it out of several more months uh, might add to, you know, become an advantage for Canelo. Um, I, I just think that boxing in general, forget about Canelo and Triple G for a minute, I think boxing in general shoots itself in the foot by, uh, you know, following what Bob Arum uh, had said uh, famously one time, you know, everything's got to be marinated and this and that. I, I disagree, Larry. I, I feel that boxing, If I think we need to strike the iron when it's hot. You know, when you got a fight that people want to see, put it on. You know, because there'll be another one to take its place. You know, there's no reason that we have to put the sport on hold to wait for a matchup that we're in. I believe, and, and I want to hear your opinion, I believe that that's what hurts the sport. It turns people away. You know, uh, we've become, uh, you know, humans have become, you know, we want stuff now. You know, look at look at technology. You know, you want to find out what's going on in the news, you, you, you look at your phone, you can find out live news wire. You know, the newspapers are old news by the time you get it the next day. You know, so... Um, why make us wait? I mean, if they really want to get boxing back to where it was, give us the fights. Another fight will pop up. What's your thoughts? Well, people don't like to feel that they're being used um, for whatever the reason. Marinate, whatever term Bob Arum used, is really not necessary. I don't know if it really, I don't know if it really turns people off or turns the fans away. But it's certainly, um, you know, people become less tolerable of the sport when, in fact, they know that it's going to take place. They simply uh, feel that it's being prolonged because of greed or some other reason. But it's not necessary to drag, drag these situations out. And people, especially sports fans in boxing, you know, they want things now, here and now. They want it right away, and that's what you—that's what you're there for—to give it to them, give it to them right away, because um, the numbers will be there. You know, certainly you're going to make the money when people really want to see it. They're going to come out and buy it. You may lose some of the fans in that respect by prolonging uh, the event. So I, I would think the wise thing to do would be to make the fight as soon as you can and, and move on, you know, because this is what the fans want. And that's what you're there for. You're there to give the fans what they want because those are, the, you know, those are the ones who put the, the, those are the butts in the seats, so to speak. Right. And that's what you want. Exactly. That's my point. You know, why make it wait? Like, look, look what happened. We all wanted Pacquiao Mayweather for years. Yes. And they make us yes. wait five years too long and we end up with an anticlimactic fight. The same thing is happening right now in the heavyweight division. For the first time in, in, in years, we have a, a, a fight that everybody wants to see. There's not yep. a boxing fan out there that doesn't want to see Anthony Joshua fight Deontay Wilder. I, even guys that don't follow the sport want to see it. Yep. But yet, 
we're waiting again. You know, we, we, we're going to see, uh, and I'm not suggesting that Anthony Joshua, Joseph Parker isn't going to be a decent fight. I'm not suggesting that Deontay Wilder against Luis, uh, Luis Ortiz is not going to be an interesting fight because they both are. Yes, you know, you build up uh, more interest in it uh, to have a showdown, but you know as well as I do that they're not going to fight after that. They're going to drag it out another year, you know, and, and, and the point is, is, you know, if if people argue with me and say, well, you know, they're trying to make more money. Well, wouldn't, like you just said, the money's there. The demand yeah. is there. So why are you waiting? Anything could happen, especially in this business. A guy could could get a career-ending injury, you know, pussyfooting yeah. around, waiting to get uh, the big fight and, and, and lose out on that opportunity. I, I just don't understand it. A big fight will always follow a big fight. There'll always be another big fight in line. I, I, I don't get the thought process here, Larry. I don't get it either. And you just, you just hit on a very key point, this waiting around. There are two things that could, uh, two drastic things that could happen with this waiting around. One, you can get people who simply... I'm not even interested in seeing it anymore. And the big thing is that somebody could get injured, a career-ending uh, injury, okay, and either not be able to participate in the fight or perhaps, you know, be, because of the injury, you see uh, less than the uh, a greater fight that you have seen if you had put it on earlier. So those are two very... Uh, important factors that should be, you know, thought about here. You know, the whole Deontay Wilder, AJ thing. I mean, here's a guy that sells another, what did he sell? Another 70, 80,000 yeah. tickets in, in, in a few hours. I mean, if anybody's thinking that this guy isn't the biggest name in boxing right now, so, somebody somebody needs to whisper in their ear, right? Uh, there's not going to be any more room. If, 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 you, if you put Joshua Wilder tomorrow, Okay, you're going to pack the arena. I mean, especially if it's in Europe. Okay, it's not going to be any more room for anybody in that arena, whether you do the fight tomorrow or whether you do it six months from now. Okay, so, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what they're waiting on. I don't either, man. And you're right. Um, if they had this fight tomorrow if they announce this fight tomorrow and it was in uh uh england you know these these guys would uh uh clearly i mean if 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 aj and klitschko had ninety thousand, could you imagine what wilder klitschko would, and then to suggest that wilder says he's got to come here to fight me <laughs> for what for a fifteen thousand seat arena in vegas come on man you know for for the barclay center in brooklyn you know, I, I mean, it just, it doesn't make sense. Sometimes when he's, you know, you know that you got these advisors in their ears. And sometimes I shake my head. I'm, I'm saying to myself, what what are they telling these kids? You know, I mean, you know, it, just, it doesn't seem like they're really looking out for their best interests. And that's the sad part. They think they are. Well, it seems, sometimes it makes you wonder if the fighter himself is in the game for the money. Because anybody who's fighting, who's getting in the ring, risking their life just for fun, you know, something's wrong. So if you're a real fighter and you're in the game for the big money, then you should be willing to go anywhere the money is, okay? And believe me, there wouldn't be, they couldn't find an arena here in the U.S., okay, big enough for the fans 
that would go out to see that fight in Europe. So that's where you go. That's where the money is. You know, that's that's why Jesse James robbed the banks. That's where the money was. Right. So that's the same thing. You know, go where the money is. Exactly. You know, it's funny. You just we we were talking about this last week about you know the money and and uh, you know uh, you know why you're fighting and everything else. And and I was criticized. You know which seems to be uh, happening lately, about... And, and what, cr- what cracks me up is people don't listen to the statement I say. And like I was saying, and you and I have talked about this in the past uh, on this show, uh, about how the European fighters are, are, are taken over. And, and one of the reasons why is because their willingness to fight each other. I mean, you don't have to look far. You just look at the, the, the names. They, they, they fight each other at an early age. Look at the W uh, World Boxing Super Series, although you know uh, some of these guys are from Russia and stuff, but still, they all had titles. They all put it on the line. And I agree that they call it prize fighting for a reason. It's about the money. But there comes a time, I feel especially in the sport of boxing, Larry, that, you know, you want to prove that you're the best, so you got to fight the best. And if somebody else is saying they're better than you and you're in the same weight class, you fight. And, you know, you negotiate to a point, but at some point it's up to the fighter to turn around and say, hey, make this fight. You know, uh, there's fighters in the U.S. that have a tendency to say, I'm only going to fight. And I, this is my fear with, with Wilder, um, uh, Anthony Joshua, they come to a point where they say, well, we're only going to fight for X amount of money and we won't fight unless we get that. And then you miss out on the fight. I mean, do you think that these guys should have that old school mentality at some stage of negotiation or should it be all about the money? Well, you know, there should be, there should be a little bit of the old school mentality. I mean, you know, boxing is very dangerous. Okay. So if you're going to, you're really risking your life for the entertainment of others. So money has to be the greatest incentive. But, you know, we we always have to um, keep tradition in mind also. Okay, you're still an athlete. You know, boxing is a sport that certainly has uh, a certain amount of royalty attached to it. So... You know, the legacy aspect of it certainly uh, is a factor, you know, so you just don't disregard that. So you have to have somewhat of that old school mentality. You know, let's let's get it. Let's do it. I'm the best. I want to show the world that I'm the best. Okay, but I want to get paid. I want to get paid for it. So there has to be a healthy mixture of both of those attitudes, you know, but whenever I see a fighter who constantly prolongs a fight that he knows and everyone else knows that they want to see it happen, then I begin to question now whether he really wants to fight. Okay? If Wilder keeps on talking the way he's talking, I'm going to start to uh, question, do you really want to fight Joshua? You know, is there something else involved here? Okay, because everything else is in your favor. The money is there. Uh, you got a chance now to prove that you are the greatest fighter. So why does he have to come here? You know, so after a while, um, these demands begin to take on a nonsensical flavor. Okay, because 
once you get inside of the ring, it's only you and him. So if you are the best, you're going to win regardless of where you are, if you're the best. So after a while, you know, um, these demands become, you know, um, less convincing, you know, if you want to, you know, for lack of a better term. And there, there has to be some other motive if you constantly, you know, insist on things that don't make any sense. What bothers me is that in, in that case, I, I know we're off topic here, but in the Wilder-AJ case, Deontay Wilder has not yet made $2 million. He hasn't made $2 million yet. He's demanding an outrageous amount of money to, to fight Anthony Joshua. And I get it. I know that that's all part of the bargaining, and you know that as well. Um, but... Yes. To suggest that they have the fight in the U.S., my, my next question is: Okay, let, let's say we let's say we we play this game, and we say, okay, we'll have it in we'll have it in at the Barclays Center, or we'll have it in Vegas, whatever. Who's going to pay for it? Who's who's going to write the checks? Who's going to be the promoter? And you'll hear crickets, because the truth of the matter is, is that the promoters here in the states, with the exception of Bob Arum's uh, uh, top rank and and I guess Golden Boy to a degree. They're not putting the fights on anymore, Larry. These guys are promoters that aren't writing checks. They want to be the other side, the guy that comes in and gets a piece of the co-promotion, but he's not actually laying out any money. And I'll call it out. It's the guys like Lou DiBella. You know, and, and the truth of the matter is, is they can't afford to bring Anthony Joshua over here. So why don't we just eliminate that BS from the rhetoric and say, okay, yes. now let's just focus on the money. We know, we know it's not happening in the U.S. because we don't have a promoter willing to open up a checkbook. You know, we might not even have a promoter that could afford the fight. So we know we got a promoter in Eddie Hearn that uh, can fill arenas with 70, 80, 90,000 people. So let's just focus on that. What's your thoughts? No, 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 you make a lot of sense. You make a lot of sense. I mean, if you if you don't have the deep pockets, well, who are you, who are you crapping? You know what I mean? So let's just go ahead on and go and do what we got to do and move on. So so that makes all the sense in the world. And you're right. You know, over here, you know, you got Aram, you got Golden Boy. Um, and and that's basically, you know, that's basically it in terms of who could afford, you know, some of these real uh, multi-million dollar events. So I don't know. I don't know what these other guys are trying to prove. So no, I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly on that. On that issue. You know, uh, the, the funny thing is, is that uh, you know a lot of people forget that end of it. You know, and and they don't understand. You know, and and, and one thing as a side note before I get into something else real quick here, you know. Everybody knows I'm not a big fan of Floyd Mayweather, but I do believe that Floyd Mayweather, if he focused, if he really let go of him wanting the limelight, which he still does. I mean, we see with his actions, everything he does, that he likes the, the, the attention. But I feel that Floyd Mayweather and Mayweather promotions could be could fill that void, Larry. I think that he's got the capital and he's got the promotional uh you know, attitude, obviously he's, he's a great promoter. He self-promoted himself uh, the last decade or so. Um, I think that if he focused and, and really tried to become a promoter, not just find fighters that, 
you know, once they appear to be taking on uh, some kind of persona that might surpass him, he something strange happens with these guys. But a guy that could dedicate and focus his attention and energies on promotion, he could be that guy. What do you think? Well, you mentioned the key element. You mentioned the, the key element there. He does have the capital. Uh, he's got the gall and the gumption. He's got the drive. He's got all of the elements to be the guy. So, once again, you know, you're right on with that. Floyd Patterson, I mean, Floyd Patterson, Floyd Mayweather certainly is the guy that if he focused on on being and doing that, he certainly has all of the tools to be successful in doing it. And that's very important what you say. The focus can't be on him now. Right. He has to dedicate, you know, and, and dedicate his time to promoting his product, not just Floyd Mayweather, you know. So maybe that'll happen. But he certainly is the, the person that has the potential of doing it successfully. Well, the, 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 the truth of the matter is is that the best fighter in his uh, stable, uh, Bedo Jack, is the one that he promotes the least. I don't understand. You know, here's a guy. Here's a guy that that everybody wrote off, and he's the only guy. I mean, when I look at when I look at these young fighters, and you know, you know how it is with these promoters and networks. A fighter loses, and you know they want to kick him over the edge of the world. Um, but when I see this kid, and I see him lose by a devastating fashion, and then come back and seemingly be better and better and better each time out. Why isn't Floyd focusing on him? Why aren't we hearing more about this guy? You know, this guy is the guy that we should be. I mean, he's coming up. He's going to have a big fight coming up soon. But, I mean, the, the truth of the matter is, is why, why isn't the boxing world talking about him? You know, this is a guy that's done nothing but get better when he learned from a defeat where everybody else, you lose value if you def get beat. And this guy turned it around, and he's not being praised for it. I don't get it. Well, you never know. You never know with these personalities, with these athletes, especially with fighters. Now, Floyd seems to um, have high hopes and focus a lot on the kid from Maryland, the Javante Davis, who, in my opinion, hopefully, I hope he doesn't become another uh, Broner because he seems like he is gradually a little bit stepping over into that Brona model. You know, I was very disappointed in his last outing, in which I still say to this day, he should have been disqualified for hitting that guy behind, definitely behind the head, okay? And, you know, he ended up winning. But he was looking. I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe that that was the same fighter that we had all, you know, been raving about. But for some reason... Floyd seems to be, you know, have high hopes on him. Uh, I happen to think that the kid is a good fighter if he, you know, he has to come back and make up for that last uh, performance, though. But uh, who knows with the personalities? You know, Badu Jack, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, Eddie Mustafa Muhammad was his trainer. He had trouble with Eddie. You know, sometimes when these guys show too much independence, that also becomes a 
believe it or not, that becomes a a factor sometimes in a relationship um, with the fighter and with the promoter. You know, I, I know that sounds a little far-fetched, but a lot of times that happens, you know. So I, I really don't know. But I agree that Badu Jack, he's a, he's a heck of a fighter, you know, and he's proven that he has heart, he has the guts, and he has the skills. So why he's not being highlighted and, you know, uh, I should thought the front of that crowd a little bit more, I don't know. You know, but like I said, you know, there's this strange mentality sometimes and the relationships that that um, take place between these promoters and these fighters can be strange at times. The Javante Davis issue is is my is a great example because here you got Floyd Mayweather promotions and Javante Davis we all look at Javante Davis we see this this plethora of talent and then his first fight where it should have been a showcase you know he, he lays an egg he comes in overweight he loses his title mm-hmm. um you know he yep. then then right after that he gets arrested or whatever the case was beating up a woman or whatever yep. the case and and you know and, and you're right it it, it 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 almost seems like somebody took adrian broner's name erased it and filled in javonta davis this is my point larry floyd mayweather has the respect of these kids you know um they they look up to him this is where he's got to break that mold of his own problems that he faced and try to direct these guys in the right direction. But it seems like he doesn't because he's he's glorified certain aspects which have he's been able to, to rise above and still succeed. But these kids haven't. You know, Adrian Broner, I still think, was a great talent that was totally lost. This guy, maybe he's got a screw loose, I don't know. And Javante Davis is heading down the same path. So, hey, real quickly, uh, because I only got a minute, uh, I don't know how to phrase this any other way, but what the hell's happening with, with HBO? I mean, I, I don't know about you, Larry, but if I'm HBO and I'm Peter Nelson or anybody involved, I, I, I'd i be hiding right now. I'd be disgu- disguising myself. I mean, to, to suggest that the two fights that, that we watched on HBO <laughs> last weekend where HBO worthy fights is is, is a smokescreen. That's an understatement. What's your thoughts? No, I, I I thought first off that Matisse fight. You know, if that knockout hadn't occurred, or that stoppage, or whatever you want to call it, if that hadn't hadn't occurred, that probably would have been one of the worst um, you know telecasts that I've seen on HBO in years. That Boxing After Dark. It's usually been used as their developmental uh, program, but I didn't see much, you know, development in those fights. So, you know, I was disappointed, and I think that uh, the viewership probably will tell you. I don't know what the numbers were, but I don't think that the viewership, you know, probably was disappointing also, you know. But maybe it'll get better. You know, HBO has always found a way just to, to hang in there, to come back. So maybe it'll get better as the year goes on. But that was a kind of poor showing last week, in my opinion. And, and nothing for nothing. But how does Lucas Matisse against a guy that nobody's ever heard of become the main oh, event when realistically the, the Linares uh, fight 
against uh, Mercito Gusta was more uh, was more of a substantial fight. I mean, and not just from the outcome, but for for what was in you know involved there. I mean, how, who makes the decision? Uh, you know, Matisse in all his biggest fights of his career, he's lost. You know, so I don't know what happened there. That, that was strange. And to hear them talk about, they were all criticized. Oh, Matisse's done. Oh, Matisse, all of a sudden he knocks. Oh, that's what makes Matisse so great. It's like, what? What? You know, what am I listening to? You know, uh, it, was, it was hard to watch, Larry. It really was. Well, a lot of times the commentators try to make up for it, too, you know. You can almost tell. And I was getting ready to say Matisse, uh, you know, the politics may have gotten into that for him being the main event and then of course the commentary at the end you know oh that's what makes him great what's great about Matisse is he looks a step above a club fighter you know so I don't know I don't I really don't know where they get all this mess from Larry it was great having you back and uh, we'll be looking forward to you uh, next weekend uh, any Super Bowl predictions my man oh let me tell you something <laughs> If if the Eagles are smart, you know, they'll hold off until the end because he, Brady reminds me of Matthew Saad Muhammad. You got to beat him up for him to get going, okay? But that guy's a he's a total gunslinger, man. I don't see the Eagles coming nowhere near beating these guys. So no. we'll see. No, I, 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 I'll be rooting for the, <coughs> for the Eagles because I'm a disgruntled Jets fan, but uh... – uh, I'm 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 with you. It's gonna be it's gonna be tough to keep Brady down. But uh, Larry, great oh. to have you back. We'll talk to you next week, brother. Okay, Billy. Thank you. That's uh, boxing hall of famer Larry Hazard. Uh, make sure you don't miss him next week. I'm gonna take a short break. When I come back, the blast from the past, the blue horizon, is what we're talking about today. We'll be back in two. Billy C. will be right back. Part of the Billy C. Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. He may not have an excellence in broadcasting award, but the night's still young. And he's got martinis. So you never know what may be by morning. It's Talking Boxing with Billy C. Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy, Billy C. C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're finally back. I'm Billy C. And uh, glad you could be with us. I don't know. Did I hit a wrong button or something? That seemed like an awfully long commercial break. Uh, I got I to gotta pay more attention. I'm too busy in all these chats. Listen, can everybody just stay in the one chat room? You know, I mean, uh, I was playing around. I've never responded to the chat room up on the uh, YouTube page, but uh, it's been fun the last couple of days and uh, Facebook Live, too. But, uh, you know, uh, I, where's Jeremy C. when you need him? Anyway, it's that time again uh, uh, for uh, our longest-running segment, uh, The Blast from the Past. We like to take uh, suggestions and requests from people, and I got, I got a strange one. So this week's Blast from the Past is being brought to us in part by uh, KO Fantasy Boxing. Check it out, www.kofantasyboxing.com. And also the Title Bout Championship computer game, which is going to be kind of tough for this week's uh, 
uh, Blast from the Past. It was a request, a special request, to do a Blast from the Past not on a fighter, which we uh, normally do, but instead on a venue and one of the more famous boxing venues. Uh, today, uh, we are going to be talking about the Blue Horizon uh, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And joining me right now to tell us all about the Blue Horizon, and I'm curious to see who he puts the Blue Horizon in uh, in the title belt, maybe against the Fell Forum. I don't know, but uh, Alex Papali uh, joins me. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Billy C. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm uh, I'm sick again. I got sick after I came back from St. Simon's. I was like on my deathbed, and I made a full recovery, and then all of a sudden it's like it's the same thing has happened, the same symptoms and everything. I don't know, man. We were talking about it yesterday. I think, I think one of these little bacterias are going to wipe out the human race. That's what I think. That's right, and uh, it might wipe out uh, aliens too. At least it did in uh, War of the Worlds. Well, Remember some it was of them the common cold that wiped them out. See, see, maybe that's why they don't come and invade us. They, they were scared of all the germs on this planet. That's right, big <laughs> tough aliens with their spaceships and their laser beams and their ray guns, and uh, they get they die from a sniffle. There you go. <laughs> well, I can relate to that. Some days, some sometimes when I'm sick, I feel like I'm gonna. I'm just gonna die. I, I feel like I'm gonna die. You know, but uh, Blue Horizon, interesting uh, request, huh? Yeah, this isn't. Uh, all right, I, I'm sorry, I lost you there for a second. Um, yeah, very interesting. Um, a building. Uh, I think that's a good idea to have it fight the uh, Felt Forum. Um, How can that but, happen? Uh, uh, the unfortunately, the uh, person I wanted it to have uh, fight, but it doesn't seem like he's in the uh, game, is uh, Rockin' Rodney Moore who was unofficially known as the king of the Blue Horizon because he was the fighter who fought there the most. Huh. You know, I didn't know that. I, I, I'm looking to get educated uh, a lot uh, on the Blue Horizon. I know one of the first things that surprised me was how old the building was. It was constructed in 1865. I mean, that's Civil War time, man. Yeah, it was uh, designed uh, as originally as... Um, housing for uh the wealthy uh for wealthy businessmen businessmen um and it was the property was located at 1314 north north broad street in philadelphia pennsylvania and uh, like you said 1865 it was ritzy there actually is a pretty cool little video on the interwebs there on youtube from um a couple of guys who they must they're called their youtube channel is called the proper people and it seems like they go around to a lots of different abandoned buildings, different structures, and just film it, you know. And some of it looks like they do some ghost hunting too, and some of them. But uh, they have a pretty cool video that it looks like it was it was published in 2016 of them walking around inside. And they go in from they go in the outside. There's shots of the exterior as well as the interior. It's a really cool video. Um, to get a feel of the location, and it, it does. It is one of those places that certainly any any old structure, you know, when it's empty, you could almost feel the ghosts, you know. And certainly, watching this video, uh, you can imagine ghosts of old gladiators because they walk through the area where, um, you know, there was. There's almost like uh, rooms that are like partially. There's like a partial divider, and it must have been where the undercard fighters prepared. Um, and in, in one room, there's even a remaining uh, like doctor's exam table um, where a guy could probably lie there and get stitched up maybe before going to the hospital or something. Um, 
but yeah, it's pretty good. It's one of those places that um, there's uh, no lousy seat in the house, and um, it really it was amazing because it almost has like this bowl quality to it. It's like I said, 1865 was when it started. It didn't it had one uh, two fight cards in 1938, but it didn't really get involved in boxing until 1960 when um, a, uh, a legendary uh, promoter uh, and a landlord uh, extraordinaire in Philadelphia uh, boxing named Jimmy Toppy Jr., he purchased the property, at, like I said, in 1960, and they kind of uh, you know, unofficially named it Toppy's Auditorium. And this, the, um, the name, I think somebody in the chat room might have mentioned this, I just jumped screens here, but... Um, the name comes from a song from the 1930s called Beyond the Blue Horizon, which was uh, composed by Leo Robin and Richard Whiting and Frank Harling. And um, I guess it was in a 1930 film, Monte Carlo, but that's where the name comes from. And um, yeah, so it from what BoxRec seems to show, it looks like there was a total of um, uh, like over 300 fight cards there uh, yeah 380 different events and Russell Peltz was the big um, promoter that really got I think the reason why so many people know the name and why it did win uh, the ring magazine uh, number one boxing venue um, is because of the USA Network uh, show that lasted, you know, that was in the 80s and 90s. And Russell Peltz was a major part of, uh, you know, getting that um, series off the ground. You know, he was the promoter. You know, one of the, one of the things that I found uh, fascinating uh, during the, uh, I don't know, the, the history, the, the, uh, the evolution of the Blue Horizon, if you will, um, was like we stated in the beginning, you know, here it was, it was uh, built in, in, you know, Civil War times, 1865, uh, to, uh, you know, basically house the, the, the upper class. A lot of uh, places, uh, old hotels that were built uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, people used to reside at. So that this was a common thing uh, in cities. But when it was sold uh, in the early 1900s, it was sold to the Loyal Order of Moose uh, Lodge, which, you know, every time I hear that, and, and no disrespect to the Loyal Order of Mooses, Mooses out there, or Moose, I, I guess Moose is a, is singular and plural, I, I think. But, yeah, um, I believe you're you know, right. Sort of like uh, uh, deer, you know, it's a deer. Oh, how many? It's but deer. Anyway, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, Loyal Order of Moose, you know, when I think of that, I think of, I think of uh, the Loyal Order of Water Buffaloes, uh, Fred Flintstone's club. You I know, knew but, you were going to say that. <laughs> yabba dabba do. But, uh, you know, anyway, I can't help but think of that. But, yeah, but you know, it, it had its time. And like you said, um, they were the ones responsible for bringing boxing in in the first time, the first ever uh, boxing event uh, held uh, on March 1st. But the interesting uh, thing was that uh, uh, on March 28th, uh, of that year in, in uh, 1938, Willie uh, Redesh, uh, who uh, uh, became a trainer. He was a heavyweight at the time. Uh, he was known for training my man, Sonny Liston, and Joe Frazier. So, I mean, uh, at least the Joe Frazier connection uh, with, uh, with Philly. I mean, uh, 
that uh, that seems to to hit home, you know. And and when Jimmy Toppy bought it, did he buy it specifically uh, to turn it into a boxing venue? Is that what uh, is that pretty much the the way the story goes? Uh, yeah, because he was a fight promoter. So from what I see at uh, Philly Boxing History site, it does seem like that's what uh, his intention was. He purchased it for a sweet eighty-five grand. Now, granted, this is 1960, but... Um, 1961, 85 grand was a lot of money. Yeah, that probably is a lot of I money. I mean, think, yeah. think about that. I mean, I know uh, in the early 80s, you know, where, where I am now in Lake George, you could buy a house on Lake George for under $50,000, and now that those same houses are being sold well over a million. So, I mean, uh, you know, so in, in 1961, 85000 it was probably a lot of money for... For a building that old think about that it was the building was already 100 years old alex yeah it's pretty amazing and well the architecture is really nice i mean it's one of those buildings it's got great bones isn't that what they say about uh property um it's beautiful i mean it really has a really nice entrance there's like uh you know the staircase sort of comes around from both sides and then you know the entrance is right there when you watch that video i was mentioning there are a hell of a lot of stairs um, it, it's sad to see the disrepair, but you know I think part of it is is comes some comes from mismanagement, but I think also part of it is that um, we, as a culture, I mean as a country, I think uh, we tend to have moved towards more you know newer construction. I mean the thing now, what's very likely to happen to it is going to become a hotel. Um, you know, gentrification usually means, um, you know, ruining, well, not ruining, but take, well, I guess some people's opinion would be ruining, but taking down old structures in the place of putting up new, uh, you know, things that look all the same. They're very sterile looking properties that, you know, something new, that there's certainly some level of charm to this, uh, to the blue horizon. However, uh, I guess the, 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 the powers that be didn't really think so um, in hopes of getting like landmark status and get some sort of historical protections. Um, they did make efforts to do that and it didn't make it. Um, I guess they didn't feel that it was um, something that, uh, you know, they wanted to preserve as a historical site. So the latest person who bought it is a, um, uh, a conglomerate, I guess that are, they're hoping to put a, uh, uh, hotel there, but it was um, a, a woman, an African American woman named Verno, Vernoka Michael, who took over in 2002 when it had started, you know, was failing, and she did get some funds from like historical societies of Philadelphia, but it wasn't much. It was only about a million dollars. And, you know, she did put on a, uh, 39 shows there. She was one of the first. Um, she was the first African-American woman to promote uh, female boxing. And she, like, I think she was one of the promoters for, or the promoter for Jackie Frazier lied. But um, she promoted 39 fight cards there between 2004 and 2010. Uh, but then it does look like, um, you know, maybe she was the one who eventually was, you know, it was the building was shut down because of lots of violations, um, you know, for electrical work and plumbing and stuff like that. And then there were issues with paying the taxes on it and stuff like that. And it seems that, you know, there's there seems to be a back and forth between her and um, 
and Russell Peltz, because I guess he stopped doing fights there. Uh, but yeah, it's unfortunate because by not getting that historical status, uh, you know, you can't get um, public funds. Um, and it would be that which, unless you have somebody who, uh, a private investor who has an interest in preserving it uh, for what it looked like, um, you know, you, it's going to go away uh, and there'll probably be a hotel there at some point. You know, it's it's a little uh, confusing because there seems to be a movement in, in the U.S. with retro. You know, everybody likes the retro. They take these old structures and they leave the facade um, the way it was meant to be. And, and I know that there's some, uh, uh, at least here in the state of New York, the uh, armories um, are being sold to private people, but the, the stipulation is that you can't make cosmetic changes. Now, you do have to go in and sink a lot of money, like you suggest, in the plumbing and electrical, which uh, obviously uh, for a building that was constructed in 1865, um, you know, and that's no easy, inexpensive uh, point. But um, the thing about the Blue Horizon that makes it so, in my opinion, which makes it such a, uh, an important part of boxing history, forget about all the, 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 the guys who fought there. You know, the, the Harold Johnsons, the, the Dick Turners, uh, Gypsy Joe Harris, which was uh, a, a, a famous fighter, uh, Curtis Cox, uh, who was a world champion. They did even have uh, world uh, championship fights there. The original Willie Monroe, even Tim Witherspoon, Cycle Hart, Bernard Hopkins, Matthew Saad Muhammad, Benny Briscoe, all fought there. But, and, and there was a world title fight there uh, in 1997 when Charles, uh, I mean, uh, when uh, uh, Peltz, uh, uh, promoted Charles Brewer against uh, defending his uh, uh, IBF uh, super middleweight title. But the thing that makes this venue such a big part of boxing history, in my opinion, Alex, and 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 what's really, we're losing here in the States, and, and people don't get it, and it's the backbone of, of the sport, is the club shows. The club shows are the backbone of boxing. Yeah, we all watch the big fights on HBO. Yeah, and Showtime and stuff like that. I'm critical of the the level of of fights we're seeing on HBO lately, and you know. But that's because those are the fights. That level when you're watching is supposed to be those fights that are established fighters. But the backbone of the sport are club shows, the small venues that can seat a few hundred people, even though this place sat uh, well over a thousand, but the small venues that would bring in those neighborhood kids, those fighters that would create rivalries, all those things that aren't politically correct anymore, um, you know, that's what the Blue Horizon was all about. And to tell you the truth, Alex, you know, back in the 20s and the 30s, every town had a Blue Horizon, not, not to the historical ramifications that the Blue Horizon have, but they all had these venues that would house these club shows and that's become extinct and i think that you can draw a direct line to the reason why one of the reasons why boxing has lost its popularity is due to the lack of club show venues that are available throughout the united states yeah i think there's definitely something to that and, and i mean the blue horizon is the perfect example because it, um, you're right, that's exactly the niche it was. It's not like, you know, when you fight for the title and you get like a Canelo-Golovkin-level fight or you get like, um, you know, Whitaker versus Buddy McGirt, 
uh, Pernell Whitaker versus Buddy McGirt, you go to a big arena, you go to Madison Square Garden, or you go to Mandalay Bay in Vegas. But uh, for, you know, the the workaday, you know, grind them out, uh, start building a career type fights are all club fights. Uh, and it, this was a tradition that the Blue Horizon, you know, because it was in a major fight town, Philadelphia, um, it became the place where so many people built their careers. And like you said, some of the names, just to go through a few, like I said, Rockin' Rodney Moore was considered the king of the Blue Horizon. He fought there more than anybody else. Curtis Cox, Gypsy Joe Harris, Benny Briscoe, Bobby Boogaloo Watts, uh, Thomas Tate, Charles Brewer, uh, Hugh Kearney was another name I saw a lot. Um, but the greatest fight that supposedly um, what people think of as the best fight that ever took place there was when um, Stanley Kitten Hayward got off the deck to knock out um, Curtis Cox uh, by two, TKO at 245 in round number four of a scheduled 10 rounder. Um, he, uh, you know, that was thought of as the best fight that ever happened at the Blue Horizon. But um, you're right. I mean, it. Uh, everybody who's anybody in um, Philadelphia boxing fought there. And, uh, you know, because it had that, starting in 1986, had that affiliation with uh, USA Network, the Tuesday night fights, I think so many... Um, people who are boxing fans, uh, you know, whether you are a casual fan or a dedicated fan, um, you watch Tuesday night fights. Um, and they went to the Blue Horizon a lot. And after that, ESPN went there a lot. Uh, it was one of those type of arenas or um, where it, it, first of all, I think the word arena is appropriate. And um, you don't, you can't call that of a lot of places. Um, but Seriously, if you had one of those up balcony seats, it's almost like you could reach out and touch the fighters because of the way the place was shaped. Um, so, yeah, it just uh, must have been uh, – that was one of the things. When Rodney Moore said the first time he met uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, the first thing Ro uh, Sugar Ray Leonard said to him was, wow, Rodney Moore, king of the blue horizon. So even fighters uh, think of it as an honor to fight there. You know, it reminds me uh, like the like the Roxy. Remember the Roxy in Boston? The same type of thing yeah. where you would sit up. Or the and, Felt Forum, I Felt guess, Forum maybe is in, the same. Yeah. in yeah. New York, you yeah. think? Yeah. You know, no, it's the same. Or, or the Palladium, you know, the, the same way. The Chance was, was the same way in, in Poughkeepsie. Um, so so one quick question as we wrap it up here. Um, now, it, it was, it, from what I understand, it was looked to be turned into a, a big-time hotel restaurant with a, with a fitness center and, and several bars, et cetera, et cetera. And a Starbucks, I'm sure. Back in 2011. But it has since not happened, right? Because uh, as, of, uh, uh, as of, well, the last time, I mean, recently, doesn't the building still sit the way it, it had since they closed it down permanently in 2010? I mean... Nobody's really taken it over yet, have they, or have they started? No, nobody, not from, from 2015, the uh, articles I see, uh, it doesn't seem like anything's happened to it. Uh, maybe something new, um, but there are, um, it doesn't look, you know, I think the, the last I saw was, like you said, is that um, it, it, the possible future, probably likely future for it will be a hotel. Um, I don't know what the neighborhood is like. Uh, so maybe that's part of the issue. 
is, um, uh, you know, maybe there's not a lot of development in that area, but, um, you know, because that's all I could think is why would a hotel like not be building there? Um, but one of the things that people have, it, it's always been a sort of place that was sort of rough. You know, um, one of the famous lines was that uh, the Daily News's Rich Hoffman noted that uh, the paint is three colors, pink, blue and peeling. <laughs> and peeling. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, you know, with all your money, go write a check and buy the place, and we'll put some boxing back in there. You know. Yeah, that would be cool. That would be that would be a fun thing to. Uh, you know, I think that's what Vernoka Michael really hoped was that um, she she could do that. Her and her partners, Carol Ray and Carol Whitaker, uh, hoped that that was um, uh, you know going to be what they could do is really you know start a resurgence of the place and it looks like for a while it, it did okay but it mu she must have gotten overwhelmed it, and it does seem like um just the age of the building made it a bit of a money pit as well, they say uh, unfortunately everything revolves around money but uh, great job with uh the blue horizon and alex i i have less than a minute but i wanted to get your quick thoughts on the uh, official official announcement that triple g canelo is going to take place um do you think it they dragged it out too long? I mean, should this fight have been taking place three months after the first or what? Uh, I think that would have been best for the fans, and that would have definitely best been best for Triple G. Um, I think this really does tilt the uh, um, you know the, the the ring, if you will, towards uh, Canelo. He's the younger guy, um, but I'm not sure. You know how much uh, six months matters. It does seem like it did matter the first time. So I don't know. I think it's a bit of a, it's. It just makes things a steeper hill to climb for Triple G at this stage of his career. Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think I, I'm still hopeful that it'll be uh, as entertaining a fight as the first one. Uh, hopefully, it'll be a little more violent than the first one because uh, I thought that um, as much as the first one was highly competitive. Um, I thought um, they didn't really uh, a fight never broke out so maybe this time a fight will break out and that's always fun to see yeah especially in the boxing business um, I'm over over my time limit but I, I got to get your quick thought on HBO are they going to snap back or did we see the beginning of the end of HBO with that uh, really terrible horrific uh, card that we had to sit through last week yeah, they, it was pretty dreary. Um, it, everybody was lucky. Even if um, if uh, uh, Matisse's opponent did sit down a bit, uh, I can't even remember his name now. It was so unmemorable. Um, the uh, you know he did us all a favor by putting that thing to the end, putting putting an end to that card. Uh, I don't know. Um, you know th they've been slipping for a while, so. It's um, it's unfortunate because I I tend to like the way HBO does business, but um, they're not the same. That's for sure. Well, that's my point. Uh, and it's, it's been a while. That that, um, that was my point. Thinking. They they had a chance to turn the tide, and they they yeah. they come on 2018 and lay an egg. I mean, geez. and yeah. then and then they have the nerve to promote. Uh, the light heavyweight fights, you got a good one as the co-main event, and Kovalev against another guy as well-known as the opponent who stepped in with Matisse, you know? So, uh, you know, 
it's uh yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's looking pretty grim uh at hbo boxing so is. i i don't know what what we'll see uh, they need because uh, that'll be hbo pay-per-view right canelo golovkin yes so yes. They, they need it badly this is true alex great job i got to take a break i will talk to you uh next time maybe if you got some time call in later in the week we're opening up the phone lines tomorrow all right, Billy C., take care. All right, that's uh, Alex Papali. You can catch him on Wednesdays as well as uh, with us for our new segment, which I will announce later in the week. I'm well over my time. i got to take a break, and uh, when we come back, uh, I'll have uh, Sal Rocky Senecola. Don't go nowhere. Billy C. will be right back. Part of the Billy C. Boxing Network. Billy C. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And uh, where... Back, you're watching and listening to the Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us and uh, back with us again is my partner in crime, Sal Rocky Senecola. Did you ever fight at the Blue Horizon? You know, it's so funny you should say that because Russell Peltz promoted quite a few of my fights. I uh, usually have the Sands, and because uh, he was affiliated when I was involved with uh, Sylvester Stallone. And uh, Richie G. Ketty, when he formed that little promotional outfit, he had Russell and Richie as the point men. And uh, for the promotional outfits, Sylvester Stallone had called Tiger Eye Limited. The stable consisted of Lee Canalino from Texas, Vinnie Curto from Boston, Aaron Pryor from Ohio, and myself, yours truly. And uh, the Blue Horizon, Russell Peltz often wanted to put me there. And uh, we, uh, for whatever reason, we did not fight at the Blue Horizon. We did fight in Wayne, Pennsylvania, not too far, at a place called the Covered Wagon Inn. And uh, we fought there. And uh, I think uh, part of the part of the time when uh, I was going to have some big fights at the Blue Horizon, uh, the relationship with Richie Giacchetti and I just uh, didn't develop or didn't uh, uh, continue. So that was it. So it sounds like you stayed at the Holiday Inn Express last night. I said, hey, Sal, did you fight at the Blue Horizon? A simple yes or no would have been good. And you you said, well, you know, no, but I did no, stay at the Holiday no, Inn Express no, last night. Thing. You know, you know but, I, yeah, I'm sorry, Bill. I, I get this habit. I, I, I got to stop talking about how they make the watch when you ask me what time it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, know, listen, tomorrow, during, during uh, the last couple of segments, I've been uh, – uh, struggling along multitasking as they're making fun of me. I, normally, I only respond to one chat room, but today I was in our regular chat room. I was up on Facebook Live. I was even wow. in the YouTube chat. And uh, overwhelming request to open up the phone line. So we're going to do that tomorrow, Sal. So I just want to let you know uh, we're going to be opening up the phone lines tomorrow. So anybody that's been uh, asking for the number in the chats and uh, uh, wanted to, uh, to call in, tomorrow's going to be the day. So uh, if you want to call in, we will give out the number tomorrow at the beginning of the show uh, so you can uh, get an opportunity to do that. Uh, so uh, we'll be looking forward to that. Now, if you want to keep Sal on the line at the same time, it's going to be impossible because uh, we will be able to take a caller 
Uh, oh, and, but man. unfortunately, Sal, unless I unless we bring you in a different way, I could probably bring me do in that. a different way. Give me the number; I'll call it in. We'll yeah, see. maybe hey, maybe I could do that. But um, hey, listen, can I, can I interrupt? I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I'm so excited, Billy. You, I've been getting more and more compliments from people that hear our show on our local affiliate here, 1440 Gig G I G. And, uh, you know, so uh, Scott Rifen has been doing a good job plugging us in on Sunday's show. And uh, they get this show. And, man, I want to tell all our locals here, thank you so much for your support and listening. I mean, I've been getting a lot of praises from people coming in and saying, Sal, I, I just heard you on the radio. What do you guys do to the show? And so it's, it's really neat to hear the local, uh, local fan base here that we are gaining. Well, I tell you what, uh, we, we also want to give a shout-out to uh, we've just been added to a new affiliate in New, Ham- in, uh, new Hampshire, at Na- in Nashua. So uh, we're excited about the uh, expansion of the team. But uh, remember, um, tomorrow uh, the phone lines will be open. So uh, make sure if you've been dying to speak your mind, uh, tomorrow's the day. Uh, on this day, the last day of January, January 31st, 1998, William Choppy wins a 12-round decision over Julio Cesar Green to regain the WBA World Middleweight title took place in Tampa. On this day in 1936, Archie Moore knocks out Kid Pocahontas in the third round of a scheduled eight-round fight. Uh, was uh, fought in uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, Archie Moore improved to 2-0 and with two knockouts. Talk about... Talk about early in Archie Moore's career. The the the, the Archie Jeez, Moore went on that's to fight. About as early as you yeah, think. that's that's. I didn't even know he only fought two fights at any time. But he, uh, he wasn't called ancient then. No. On this day in 1998, B-Hop knocks out Simon Brown in the sixth round to retain his uh, IBF World Middleweight title. Took place in Atlantic City. On this day in 2004, Antonio Margarito knocks out Hercules Cavellos in the second round to retain his WBO World Welterweight title, and that took place in Arizona. On this day in 2004, Rafael Marquez knocks out Pete Fresina in the second round to retain his IBF World Bantamweight title. That, too, took him place in Arizona. It was on the same card as uh, Antonio Margarito. And on this day, January 31st, 1941, Joe Lewis knocks out Red Berman in the fifth round, to retain his world heavyweight title, and that took place at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Those were the days when fighters fought every month or so in a title fight, so uh, that's why they had the nerve to call Joe Lewis against the Bum of the Month Club. And we did on this show one time, we evaluated a lot of the so-called bums of the month that Joe Lewis fought. Most of them would have been world champions today. That's how, that's how uh, the, the, the boxing business was uh, during his era. There was a lot of... Uh, a great talent, but uh, hey, man, it was great to hear Larry come back, huh, Sal? Oh man, I love listening to Larry. He he's he's such a, I mean, he's a thoroughbred. This guy, this guy just knows. He, he's got a, a such a such a great mind for the fight game, and, no and man, I'll tell you what, he just he he's he's fantastic. I love Larry Hazard, uh, and man, I have so such great memories, and he probably don't even remember because he's been through so much, but I. I remember he refereed some of my amateur bouts, and then he re- refereed my final bout in the Golden Glove Championship, and then he refereed my per- professional bouts, and and I saw his career and where he went, and I said, wow, this guy's a legend. And, no doubt. Uh, no so doubt. Hall of Famer. Of Larry Hazard, Hall of Famer. We missed him, but uh, hey, yes. make sure, make sure that uh, you guys tune in tomorrow morning, same bat time, same 
Bat Channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby.